Hello and welcome to The Stakes. I'm Julianne Ross, Deputy Editor of News and Politics at MTV, filling in for Holly Anderson, who is moving into a shiny new studio in LA. Welcome to 2017. This week is all about looking ahead. We'll hear about the future of libraries from Ann Arbor District Librarian Josie Parker. Sorry, I said like librarian. (laughs) (laughs) We'll hear about the future of libraries from Ann Arbor District Librarian Josie Parker. Get out there and ask people who live in your community What else would you like to have coming from the public library besides what you have right now? In the most literal interpretation of Finding the Future, our MTV podcast producer Mukta Mohan made a pilgrimage to the White Witch of L.A. to find out what the stars have in store for us this year. So if you find your place in an Aries, Capricorn, or Libra situation, get ready to have confrontations. But first, we take a look at the future of humanitarian aid. Producer Kasia Mihailovich spoke with Sunita Grote, manager of UNICEF's Innovation Fund, about how they're invested in drones to help children around the world. Thanks so much for joining us, Sunita. Can you tell me about what your job is and what the Innovation Fund is? Sure. So um, I'm the Innovation Fund Manager at uh, the Office of Innovation for UNICEF. Um, My job is to manage a very cool new project that we've launched um, about a year and a half ago. We set up a venture fund within UNICEF. So UNICEF is a big UN agency that works for every child around the world. So we try and make sure that children um, in all countries have access to education and to healthcare and um, can be safe at home and at school um, and are protected from violence. And so what uh, we do at the Office of Innovation is to try and find new solutions and new ways of reaching all these children um, in, a, in better ways, in faster ways, um, in more effective ways. And so what the Innovation Fund does is we invest in these kinds of new tools. So we find groups of people who are in the countries that we work in mm-hmm. and who are developing and piloting new solutions that can improve the lives of children. So my job is to help find these companies Um, select them, so assess how strong their idea is, how strong their product is, and then um, provide them with this investment and accompany them for a year and support them to really build out this project and pilot it for children. And there is a pilot program that's about taking drones and helping them help other people. So um, a couple of months ago, the UNICEF office conducted its first pilot using drones in Malawi. And so I think that gave us a lot of lessons and a lot of experience. Um, And out of that experience came, I think it's fair to say, kind of the observation that a a testing corridor for drones for humanitarian and development purposes would be kind of an asset that we as UNICEF, but also our partners could really benefit from. And so the government of Malawi kind of requested UNICEF to help them establish this corridor Um, in Malawi to allow companies to come and test their technology for social impact, for good in the development and humanitarian space. So we've announced the establishment. It's going to be active um, in spring, so in April of 2017. And yeah, so tell me more about that corridor. Why, where is it and why was that space chosen? So the government of Malawi has actually, they're still determining the exact location of the corridor, um, but we know they've, they're sort of 
consulting with with stakeholders and have a couple of parameters in terms of what they're looking for. So they have set, you know, the the altitude and the distance that they want to be able to cover in the corridor. And they've also developed kind of their own regulations, national regulations around the use of drones that would inform parameters um, that companies would have to abide by. Um, we're expecting that the corridor will be up for probably about one to two years and mm-hmm. would really help establish Malawi as kind of a hub for um, testing and for, for the development of drone technology for humanitarian and development purposes. And Malawi does face a number of challenges that makes it a very kind of suitable um, context to test technology in. So it faces regular flooding, for example, um, and kind of the threat of natural disasters on a regular basis. And so mm-hmm. we're seeing that um, that context would really lend itself to companies understanding what the environment is like to use these technologies in, more so than maybe testing it um, in a closed environment in mm-hmm. North America, for instance. Um, the corridor is unique in the sense that this is the first one that's been set up for companies to test their technology for exclusively for humanitarian and development purposes. So we uh, really see that companies will be attracted to the corridor to test their technology, maybe for applications they haven't considered um, in the past. It sounds interesting, the idea of using uh, something that's kind of high tech and almost futuristic like a drone to circumvent something that seems so basic, like a road or a navigable highway. But this is actually not the first innovation that I can think of off the top of my head that does this. I'm thinking like of uh, cash transfer payments with uh, over cell phones or even just the use of, of cell phones instead of landlines. I think that's a fair comparison. I think what we see in a lot of countries is that they're able to leapfrog. You know, they don't have to go through the same progression of technology that maybe the U.S. would have gone through, like what you're describing, where the first natural thing would have been to get a landline and then over time get a mobile phone or a cell phone. They're leapfrogging those developments. Why set up a landline if you can already have access to a mobile phone immediately? So, yes, absolutely. I haven't seen anywhere in your literature the idea of this being used in war zones, say, for example, Aleppo, which we've been hearing about so much, uh, children who are trapped there without the basic necessities of life, medical supplies, water. I could see a unique challenge in using drones in a theater of war, given that they are potentially weapons of war themselves. Is that a a limitation you guys have considered or talked about? We are at the moment not considering using them in emergency or conflict settings exactly for the reasons that you mentioned. Um, The risk is really high. Uh, for drones to be perceived differently. They would have been associated with conflict and trauma. And that's not uh, something, that's not a risk that we can take. Um, the, the risks would definitely outweigh the benefits, I think, in those kinds of settings from our perspective. So at the moment, we are uh, really limiting the use cases we're exploring to certain settings um, and in to the use cases where we see the, most, the benefit being most likely mm-hmm. and the risk being the lowest. So drones aren't the only program that the Innovation Fund is is looking into. Can you tell me, uh, say, about one other project that's really exciting to you right now? Sure. So uh, we've just announced our first set of investments in startups. Um, mm-hmm. This first set includes five really exciting companies that come from all over the world. So we have a company in Bangladesh, one in Pakistan, Nicaragua, Cambodia, and South Africa. Um, And each of them, in their own way, are exploring a really exciting solution for a local challenge and problem that they've identified. Um, I think one of the most 
um, interesting ones because it uses a really new and cutting-edge technology um, is the company in South Africa that's using blockchain to give children digital identities. So what that means is basically they're able to register for um, like school services and the government is able to allocate funding according to how many kids are actually attending what we call early childhood um, education. Mm. Um, so it's a for us, a technology that we see as very promising to address some of the really big problems around identity. So a lot of children in the world don't actually have a formal identity. They're not registered when they're born, which like excludes they don't have them. Birth certificates. They don't have birth certificates, mm. which excludes them from anything that they want to access over the course of the lifetime. So education, health services. Um, and so it, especially if you imagine in a conflict or in an emergency situation, as they're moving from country to country, not having a formal identity or having an identity that's limited to a piece of paper um, can be a real challenge to connect children and their families to life-saving services. So for us, exploring the use of this new technology, um, if it proves to be successful, if it shows results, could be really exciting and open doors for applications across um, different contexts and different, different uses. And if someone's listening and they want to know more about the other project you just briefly listed, or, or maybe are interested in trying to get funding for their own startup, where should they go? So all information about the current investments and opportunities for funding are on our website under unicefinnovationfund.org. Um, we currently have a call for applications open till the end of January. So we're looking for the next round of startups that uh, we can invest in. Uh, we make investments up to about $90,000 and are looking for startups that are actually registered as companies already mm -hmm. um, and are in what we call UNICEF program countries, which are basically developing and emerging um, economies. Great. Thank you so much, Anita. Thank you for having us today. That was UNICEF's Innovation Fund Manager, Sunita Grote, speaking with Kasia Mihailovich. think of when you think of libraries? Probably shelves of books stacked to the ceiling, maybe those tiny Dewey Decimal System cards on carts. Might not even be a sound at all. But what if your library was a place to rent art or even make music? Stakes producer James T. Green has been wondering the same thing, and he's here today to tell us about a library in Ann Arbor, Michigan that's looking towards the future. Welcome, James. Hey, Julie. So what was that we just heard? That was one of the many instruments that are available to be loaned out at the Ann Arbor District Library. The Music Instrument Library is one of the many projects that the library's director, Josie Parker, is behind. I was really curious about how she came up with the idea of lending out things like synthesizers and power tools at a public library, so I decided to call her and ask. I'm new in high school that I wanted to be a librarian. And I was going to go to the University of Southern Mississippi to be a librarian. Ended up marrying um, young and going to Auburn, where I was not able to go to library school. I had to wait. So I waited until um, I was in my mid-30s and we moved here. And I did my graduate degree at the University of Michigan. 
wanted to be a children's librarian, started out as a children's librarian, found that I was not comfortable with the way budgets were uh, allocated in public library systems in terms of where the money was going for ch children's services and children's materials. And the only way I could affect that change was to move up into management so that I would be at that table. And it led eventually to my being the director of a public library system where I found out that you don't always get to put the money exactly where you want it to go. <laughs> when I was in grad school at Michigan, the graphical web came up, literally. I stood in the lab and watched it. I, and, and that was a huge challenge to public libraries, is now it was no longer gopher, it was no longer text, email only, internet, it was graphic and it was hyperlinks. It changed everything about information which turned the public library world on its head. Gopher, what does that mean? Like the animal? That gopher that Josie was talking about is kind of like an early version of the internet. So think of all the folders on your computer's desktop. It's basically that. And it was pretty popular for managing documents across libraries. Fun fact, it was called Gopher because it was invented by Mark P. McKill at the University of Minnesota. Minnesota's the Gopher State, and there are Gophers all over the athletic teams at the university. Get it? Yeah, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> okay, here's Josie. For me, it was exciting because it was happening while I was in school, and I wasn't afraid of, the, of technology, and I knew it was a tool and a powerful one. I had been taught by my father to use the best tool possible to get a job done. He was a carpenter. And so technology was that tool. And what but I found coming into libraries was how afraid people in the profession were of technology. And, and so the biggest challenge was moving through um, bringing technology into a public library system in ways that worked, um, that did not diminish service quality, but that kept us innovative and relevant to all our users. And innovative it was. The Ann Arbor District Library began to collect beyond books, starting with... The art collection. The art collection's been here now almost 40 years. So the, po the framed art collection um, was begun with funding by the Ladies' Library Association, which is the organizing organization that began the public library in Ann Arbor in 1866. So, it's, um, so it, while it's unusual stuff in some ways today, the fact that we've been circulating non-book material um, isn't new. We've been doing that here for a very long time. And then came the science collection. Local Astronomy Club wanted the library to have um, telescopes, and they purchased them and gave them to us. The city government in Ann Arbor, uh, in a grant, were, were able to give us um, electricity monitors that people could use in their homes to determine if there was waste in, their, uh, in the use of electricity, depending upon what appliances they had. Which then led to... The Music Tools Collection. And it started with some of the music tools, that, like the automatone, that looks like uh, a saxophone but isn't, which makes this, makes this really strange, obnoxious, wild sound that kids just love that drive parents nuts. And so we are a community with serious musicians who are, the, who are professional and also amateur. And they started coming forward and saying to us, have you thought about uh, guitar pedals? Have you thought about different kinds of amplifiers or different connectors? And so we started talking about how to develop the collection. And those professionals that come in, 
She has one word for the experience of them making music. It's amazing. We have a, a space in the library with a sound, uh, a sound ceiling, I call it, where they can stand and play some of the instruments so the sound doesn't go everywhere out in the library. But they draw attention, and it draws attention to the collection, and it becomes sort of an impromptu stage in some ways. I mean, it makes me, as a library director, feel very good about the investment because it's a, it's a collection that serious musicians recognize and use, but it's also a collection that anyone in town, without no matter what their musical experience, can take home and try. Libraries are community spaces, a place where anyone in the community can use resources that may not be available to them at home or at work. They're a great example of the third space, a term coined by Ray Oldenburg in his book, The Great Good Place, as important for, quote-unquote, civil society, democracy, civil engagement, and establishing feelings of a sense of place. The theory of the third space is strong in Josie's work of making her library into a hub for the community. Well, I think that the public libraries have always been third space. They they are community spaces. The public libraries in this country stand on the premise of information that has view where viewpoints are expressed that not everyone in the community will agree with. Yet everyone is tolerant of the fact that the material is here because it's it's representing everyone as a point of view in the community to a certain extent. We have done nothing but increase in usage over the last 15 years. We have not had drops in usage. Our door counts, our circulation numbers, our program attendance, all our numbers keep increasing. But there are people who come in here just to sit in front of the fireplace and knit, and that's using their public library, and that's perfectly fine. That's totally fine. I'm glad they feel that great about their public library. Listening is the first thing. Paying attention and listening to the community is absolutely the first thing. And not falling into the trap of thinking that you have to be like another library someplace else. We are unique to our communities. Our communities are not the same anywhere. Every public library probably should look very different in some ways when we're talking about creating ourselves in this way as a third place. Get out there and ask people who live in your community, what else would you like to have coming from the public library besides what you have right now? And let them tell you and don't react to it at the moment. Wait and collect all that information and then then think about what you can afford to do and how you might afford it if um, someone wants you to do something that you think's wild and zany, but that they think would just be the coolest. Collections at the Ann Arbor District Library are an example of libraries becoming more than a resource of ink in bound books and moving towards an archive of the communities that surround them. So if you find yourself scratching your head wondering why the library in your area doesn't have these kind of resources, Josie has one piece of advice for you. Don't wait for it to happen. You're the community you're paying for the library. Go ask. See, you, you might be very, very surprised by what's possible and what, how your library responds to that. You're listening to The Stakes. That was your host, Julie Ross, speaking with producer James T. Green about the Ann Arbor District Library's innovative lending programs. You also heard Ann Arbor District Library's director, Josie Parker. 
To learn more, please visit aadl.org. I'm Kasia Mihailovich, and we'll be back with more stakes right after this. Let's get into it. 2016 was rough, really rough. And you're probably all wondering if 2017 will be any better. To find some supernatural answers, producer Mukta Mohan went to visit Maja Daoud, aka the White Witch of the West, to tell us all our horoscope for 2017 and see if magic can save us. Maja is a practicing witch in Los Angeles who uses astrology, tarot, and I Ching to help people understand themselves. She co-founded a nonprofit called The Well-Wishers that provides education and exploration into the well-being of the planet. So we asked her about how magic can be used to make the world a better place. Hi, Maja. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. First up, can you explain what exactly it means to be a white witch? For me, I like to use the word white witch instead of just plain witch so people know that I try to be helpful instead of malicious. Most of the magic that I do is aimed on empowerment and helping people get stronger instead of like vengeful magic or trying to mess people up, you know, which I think we all kind of do during the day. Like we all curse people, like just the kind of fuck you kind of thing. But I like to most of my work focus on getting people in places where they're stronger and feel more powerful. Is there a way to elevate your community through magic? Yes, I try to do that every day. (laughs) Magic is present. It's not dependent on me. I don't own magic. You don't own magic, but we can do it together. Magic is like a force that we can harness together. And magic works the best like flocks of birds or schools of fish. When a lot of people get together and focus on the same thing, it holds power. When we all think about the same thing at the same time, It can make stuff happen. I'm sorry, some scientists will disagree with that, but a lot of scientists have made scientific discoveries doing that. That's why they have think tanks and they get people together to all think of one thing at the same time and study that one thing, right? Our consciousness, when it focuses, is like a laser beam. So it's like if we get a troop of eagles all flying together, focusing on the same thing, they're going to nail it with that laser beam, right? So when we work together in communities, we can form this like flock of birds that can extend larger past ourselves and have a bigger influence. 2016 was rough. There were countless tragedies. We lost icon after icon. We elected Donald Trump. (laughs) Is there any way to explain this? from like a broad perspective? Here's what I saw from that eagle eye perspective. It seems to me that we're coming to a position in time and space where human beings are having to, I'm calling it, confront the kraken. (laughs) And the kraken is the beast from under the sea that is all of our primordial fears, anger, emotions, all of the, the like swampiness of humanity. Everybody's seeing it like huge scale with everybody's krakens are coming to the surface at the same time. Is there anything you might be able to tell us about what we can expect this year, 2017? Sure, I'll give you my report. <laughs> the The last year I kind of dubbed as the poison mind because everyone had to deal with their own mind and their own thoughts. Like I said, confronting that kraken. So I feel like for 2017, the key word that I'm using is Clash of the Titans. (laughs) 
which again is these large forces we can't control coming into confrontation with each other. So in the Clash of the Titan year in 2017, we're going to see these two forces rise up against each other. We're going to have the force of the individual versus the force of the collective. If we can't counteract that Kraken with another force, which I feel like is the force of our love for each other and humanity, that basic humanity that we share with each other, regardless of what we think or what behavior we do or what religion we believe in or what color our skin is, right? If we can use the Kraken that rose in 2016 to unite us against it as an enemy instead of fighting each other as enemies. I think we're all going to come together in this kind of like battle of opposite forces in 2017. And what I hope is that when people engage in these battles, whether you're fighting against Donald Trump, whether you're fighting for women's rights, whether you're fighting for gay rights, whether you're fighting for trans rights, whether you're fighting for black lives, no matter what your fight and what your enemy is, what I hope is that through those fights in 2017, people see the nature of the real enemies, which are not other humans, but larger forces that we should work together to try to help each other survive through them. And for those of us who believe in astrology and are curious and love to follow this, what is this year going to be like for each sign? So for most of the astrologers, they're seeing in 2017, the people that are going to get the most intense energy are in this big triangle. So it's hitting Libra, Capricorn, and Aries. So most of the folks in those uh, that have planets or you know, um, stars in those places are going to get the craziest energy because it's making this great big red friction triangle called a T-square. So if you find your place in an Aries, Capricorn, or Libra situation, get ready to have confrontations like the ones I just mentioned, right? So you're going to want to just um, prepare a way that you will deal with that. That's your best kind of way to deal with it. Folks that um, had a terrible year last year, like Sagittarians, because Saturn has been in Sagittarius, he he makes a lot of tests, uh, makes it hard for you. It's like a big bully sitting on you going, hey, get up. Why don't you just get up, right? That's the Saturn style. So Sagittarius and Gemini had a lot of money issues last year, just things not working, having to face failure. That's going to ease up for Sagittarius and Gemini. It's going to be like, phew, because they got hit really hard. For Scorpios, they went through that 2012 to 2014. So now in 2017, a lot of Scorpios will be seeing returns on all that work they did uh, 2012 to 2014. So Scorpios will have a little bit of an easier time as well, right? It's exciting, too, for a lot of the Pisces people that I know. A lot of Pisces are very empathetic and can feel everything, you know, so they've been having a rough time. All the water signs, Cancer, Pisces, Scorpio, have been in the butt hurts. They've been feeling all the negative emotional energy. I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of my friends that are water signs have been like depressed and just like stomach issues and having all these problems. But in 2017, that should alleviate a little bit too. We're going to get more fire energy and less of the like your kind of like really hard emotional energy, you know, because people had that just the swamp 
kind of of emotional energy last year. So it should be much better, much freer for a lot of the water signs too. For the air, it's looking incredible. For Aquarius, we have so many planets happening there at the beginning of the year. We should see huge uptakes in technology, new ideas, uh, moving forward crazy style with computer stuff and handheld technology is going to really go off. Maybe artificial intelligence stuff is going to really come to the forefront. And they've been advancing with the genetic studies, stem cell research. Uh, I think it's going to go crazy. So we're going to see like pretty cyborg-y type of stuff starting to develop further into the general populace next year um, because of all the Aquarius influence. And then similarly, the Virgos will have a much easier time. Jupiter was in Virgo before and it was magnifying all the Virgos like self-doubt and um, the negative critical voice. Like Virgos have trouble with like, that's not good enough, (laughs) right? Or do that better because they want to do it really well. So a lot of Virgos will get mental relief from that nagging doubt of like I can't do this or like it's not good enough so the it'll kind of shift to the signs taking a lot of the brunt of the trouble for Leo's you guys had your big test too were like 2013 and 2014 a lot of my Leo peeps had to deal with failure which is so hard for Leo's because they want to win and be the hero so for Leo's if you had a big failure in the last couple of years that got your heart down like you couldn't help people or you couldn't save people or you felt very futile Um, you have to keep that heart and don't give up a lot of the leos have that kind of heroic courage and we need you really bad this year to just shine your sun on all the people that are really taking the depression taking the the negative emotions and harboring them you leos have to get out there with your big smiles and cheer everybody up (laughs) I'm a Taurus. What can I expect? (laughs) For Tauruses, too, you guys are going to be focusing more on, like, resources. So a lot of Tauruses, the big name of the game is, like, what physical resources do I have? And, like, a lot of community stuff will be coming up for Tauruses, too, in trying to, like, collect and amass things and places for people to kind of, like, come together in. So the most important thing that I could relate to people for 2017 You know, just because some things are bad or you don't like them or it seems impossible or like human beings are terrible, terrible things and we do terrible things to each other, there's always an opposite and even infinite amount of other things, too. And the best thing about this universe is that things don't stay the same. They change. So when we've had a horrible year with everything bad happening and you kind of reach the bottom of the barrel, the good news is change always comes. So if you've had a really rough time, don't worry, it'll change. And that is for certain. Well, thank you so much, Maja. This was amazing. You're welcome. My pleasure. Good luck in 2017. That was produced from Mukta Mohan in conversation with Maja Daou, the White Witch of the West. Now, in this, our first stakes of 2017, we're bringing back a tradition forged in 2016 that we love. We'll finish the podcast with a poem from MTV politics writer Marcus Ellsworth about how we make the worlds we live in. This world came into existence when the universe whispered a joke into the void. The setup is a long one, meandering with details we call lives, working up to a punchline that we will not live to hear. When the universe finally laughs, the world will end. 
As all worlds, it began with a word. Countless worlds are created and thrive on words, born in every heart, evolving in every mind. It is said that we cannot truly know a thing exists until we have a word for it, like the color blue, or a table, or love. Speak, and a thing shall be. What wonders we craft when hope softens our lips. What atrocities we forge when hate is spat through gritted teeth. As rivers carve canyons, so our words create and shape and destroy. For worlds within this world, we are the creators. We are the caretakers. As such, we should take care with that power. Even spreading the words of others has built empires, religions, and nations. By the same, each can be brought to an end. Well-placed lies, misunderstood truths, thoughtless expressions, all can be carried like an infection on the wind to poison someone else's world, an extinction-level event for another, or ourselves. We can also decide to speak life into existence. We can weave thriving ecosystems of concepts fed by clear and healing waters. Ultimately, all is in the hands of the Creator. So choose your words wisely. Choose your worlds wisely. Those are the stakes. I'm Julianne Ross, filling in for Holly Anderson. Thanks for listening. This episode of The Stakes was produced by Michael Catano, Mukta Mohan, James T. Green, and Kasia Mihailovich for the MTV Podcast Network. You can subscribe to this and all of our other shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts. <laughs>